Navigating Change with Shane and Mike. Next to me, Shane Bishop. My name is Mike Wooten. This is where we talk about all things in culture and leadership and more. We do this to help you navigate through the changes that you're going through in your life. And today we have a very special guest. Yes, Shane, we're going to bring in a guest today. It's going to be Dr. Don Frazier, pastor of worship arts at Christ Church in Fairview Heights, Illinois. But before we bring in Dr. Don, I need to tell you something, Shane. We've had five winners from the Shane and Mike Dairy Queen prize package. Five winners. Yeah. Now, how were they selected? Because these were huge prizes we were giving away. They were five dollar gift cards. How were they selected? We, we had to hire lawyers. We had to get this de- thing done right. Actually, there's a free site called King Sumo where you'll, they'll just let you kind of let people put names in and then they pick them for you. They pick them for you. Yeah. So there's no, <laughs> this was completely legit. Oh, it's, yeah, absolutely. I didn't just like throw, you know, throw a dart or something like that. So this. we're going to announce the names of the winners because I think Valerie Wooten was a big <laughs> winner, right? Your in, mom, no, big winner? No, incorrect. Okay, incorrect. Right. I don't think we're going to announce the names because I don't know all the names off the top of my head. I can tell you one person, Shane, was actually listening to us from South Carolina. Does that impress you that people not immediately <laughs> located who know us personally could possibly listen I actually, whenever I emailed him, I, I actually wanted to like double check that was his address <laughs> because I was so shocked. Yeah. Now, what was his name again? Uh, I don't remember, but right. I promise it's a real person, Shane. All right. I've got a cousin by that name. It's, so I'm, I'm okay. wondering, you know? Wonder is, yeah. I've got to tell everybody, though, that getting the prizes is, it was a highly yeah. sophisticated, technical kind of thing. Because when you have sponsors, helicopters, right? We've got all these kind of things. Oh my gosh, yeah. Yeah, planes. And so uh, let me tell you how it all worked. We gave five $5 gift cards to Dairy Queen. So Mike sent me a note and it said, we need to pick up the (laughs) gift cards, which I translated. Yeah. And in the universal translated, it said, you make more money than I do. You should buy them. Yeah. So I I drove (laughs) to Dairy Queen. Of my own volition, yeah. I drove to Dairy Queen. I bought five $5 yeah. gift cards, yeah. and guess how I paid for them? How, Shane? I know what you're thinking. Sponsor money. Yeah. No, no it wasn't we don't sponsor. have a sponsor. No, we don't. It came out of my own pocket. Yeah, I felt kind of bad. I think the last podcast, I actually mentioned how I was going to buy them. You did. And yeah, I think you applauded me, but it ended up you were the one who bought them out of your own Out of pocket. my own pocket. Yeah. And now I'm like 25 bucks down. Yeah, well... You are, but I'm grateful that people were in the contest to do this, don't you? They shared it. They actually shared this podcast. I think that's awesome. Well, that's good news. Well, anyway, they gave me the gift cards, right? Yeah. So I put them in my car, and then I gave them to Mike. Now, here's the exciting part. Yeah. Guess what Mike did? He's going to mail them to the winners. Yeah. Is that correct? We are hours away Like with from an envelope. That. With an envelope. And I'm then even, a stamp. I'm even going to put a letter in there. By the way, what's your favorite kind of blizzard? Uh. Reese's peanut butter cup. We we talked about this previously. And the wax in your mouth, you not oh, remember that, this. Yeah, I remember it now. You still like Heath? You like uh, Oreo. I like Oreo. See, you forgot. I, I did. You know what? Because I like Heath as well. So I probably gave you two answers. You probably asked for one. You didn't. You gave probably me. gave me one, and I just wasn't interested enough to That's remember right. it <laughs> in so many ways. Mike, there's one other thing I would like to mention. A lot of people have been asking me. Yes. It's been coming in from all of our platforms, right? Oh, yeah. How many platforms do we have? Don't mention that. So it's been coming in from all our platforms. People think we're the same age. They yeah. saw your picture on the cover and they think we're the same age. So let me just say for the record, 
I'm slightly younger than Mike. You are a couple years uh, older than me, Shane. I don't know what happened with uh, the cover. <laughs> I will say my wife helped with the cover art. But yeah, I look like I'm in my mid-50s or so. And that's, that's the uh, topic at lunch today with someone. Yes, because yeah. I saw the picture, Mike, because we had them professionally done by Chris, who's yeah, in high by school, Chris. right? Yeah. We had them professionally done. And I saw the pictures and I thought, wow, I look my age. And Mike looks my age, though he's decades younger than me. How do you explain this, Mike? I uh, mean, it's clear you're you're swirling hard down toward the bottom, right? Yeah, I got young kids, and I will say I'm around <laughs> you a lot, so I partially blame this on you. Uh, right. I don't know. Well, I, t- I tell people when we when I came here five years ago, actually, people thought I was in my early twenties. Now they I'm did. getting mistaken for my mid fifties, and and I ignored you really the first three years. Yeah. So, yeah, so this only, has happened over two it's years. Only since we've been hanging out that your hair is starting to turn white, the wrinkles, that type of thing. So um, yeah, and, for any, any role Would you I've like to describe that. this anymore? No, I think I've done. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's not like you had a whole list there. Hey, okay. We're going to bring in Dr. Don Frazier. Don, we're happy to have you on Navigating Change with Shane and Mike. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Good I'm gl- to be here. I'm glad to have you. I'm enjoying you. the show so far. Yeah. So little- Mike, did you know Don previously or is this the first time you've ever met him? No, I've, I've known Don for about five years, about as long as I've known you. <laughs> Is that how long you've been here? Five years? Is it almost five years? Wow. Yeah. It seems it, longer. It, yeah, it, it does. Seems longer. Yeah, we knew him back when he was a young man. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's bring Don in here before uh, this gets too bad. Hey, uh, Don, so we want to talk a little bit about your story today. I really think you've been on a fascinating journey, and I don't know a lot about your story. I know parts of it, so I thought it would be good. What we're going to do over these next couple episodes is get into church music. But first, I want to talk about you, how you have a passion and obviously a skill for uh, music. And and you grew up in a in southern Mississippi, is that correct? As far south in Mississippi as you can get. Yeah, I saw that. But somehow you're going to, you know, as you take us through our, your story, you end up in Juilliard. Then you become pastor of worship arts here at Christ Church, a mega church. So I would just kind of like to, you know— for you to take us on your journey a little bit. How Mike, does that it... was really good, man, because I felt like what you did, you introduced Don, then you jumped to the end to build suspense, right? That's... People are saying, man, how does somebody from that location go to Juilliard? And now you're going to fill in the gaps. That's exactly Woo! right. In... Man, yeah. that, all I'm... I can say, Mike, is you're good, buddy. Stand in the gap here. I've been, oh. I've been practicing. So, uh, Don, tell us <laughs> where you're from. Mike. It yeah. does, Mike. Yeah. It does. It shows. You are, you are well every, every time. Uh, Don, share a little bit about where you're from and uh, what it was like growing up down in southern Mississippi. Well, uh, I'm from a town called Pascagoula, Mississippi, and... Uh, that's about it. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Uh, no, Pascagoula is uh, on the Gulf Coast, Mississippi Gulf Coast. Yeah. And uh, um, it's got, uh, it's well known for it. There's a ship shipyard there, Ingalls Shipyard. It's yeah. now um, Huntington Ingalls Shipbuilding. Okay. Uh, and it uh, they do a lot of work for the Navy. And, uh, and it's like, I think it's Mississippi's largest private employer that goes oh, there. Oh, really? Also, Chevron Refinery is on the other uh, is on the eastern side of Pascagoula, yeah. and that is Sh- uh, Chevron's largest single refinery in oh, the country. Wow. And uh, so a lot of industry down there, a, l- a lot of fishing, fishing industry. Yeah. Um, the Pascagoula River, uh, of course, that's where the town gets its name. Yeah. And it's also called the Singing River because uh, the Pascagoula Indians uh, were there. Oh. And uh, there's a the legend of the Singing River is something that we always uh, knew growing up with the 
the Pascagoula and the Biloxi yeah. Indians and how the Pascagoula uh, Indians' son fell in love with the chief's daughter of Biloxi, and they ran off together. And so the Biloxi Indians uh, declared yeah. war on the peaceful fishermen in Pascagoula. And so instead of being enslaved and, and slaughtered, they walked into the river singing and they drowned themselves. So, okay. So happy ending. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Ending. I was hoping for a little happy ending. around Shakespearean. Yeah. Right? yeah. Around, around, around dusk in, yeah. uh, in the, in the autumn. Yeah. It said that you can, if you're out by the river, you can hear the singing. I've never actually I, heard so it. So Mike, have you ever been to Pascagoula? I, I have not. I don't even want to say it. There's a reason why I'm not saying it. Pascagoula. That's perfect. Pascagoula. That's now, did you ever hear the Ray Stevens song, that sleepy little town of Pascagoula, squirrel went no, to church kind of thing? I, I don't know anything about that. But speaking of music, Don, uh, Pascagoula, the Pascagoula Run by Jimmy Buffett, is that right? Yeah, that's a song, well, Jimmy right? Buffett, yeah, was born in Pascagoula. Well, there you go. There you go. We even have a bridge. It's named after yeah. him. It's really just a... Uh, over a ditch, but it's not, not a major, not a major bridge. Not a major of bridge. I would, I but he's got something. The, the bridge actually looks like a flip flop from yeah. a distance. Yeah. yeah, it's really just a little bridge on on Beach Boulevard. There's yeah. a, a canal, a, a drainage canal that yeah. drains water out yeah. from in back yeah. out into the Gulf. And yeah, that's all Did, it is. were you out on the beach a lot growing up? Is that a big part? No, of your, uh, yeah. Pascagoula really. It's on it's on the Gulf, but yeah. it's not a beach town. There is a beach boulevard, yeah. uh, and it had a sort of mammy. There's a full beach now. They've they've done some reclamation of it, yeah. but uh, because there are barrier islands off of the coast, it, it creates what they call the Mississippi Sound. So the waves from the Gulf don't come up and create that type of beach atmosphere like gotcha. it does, like it over in Alabama at Gulf Shores and everything. So if you go out to the islands, which we do that, you'll go out on the other side, on the south side of the islands, you sure. get the waves just like you'd be out. But uh, the, the islands are about four or five miles, and yep. the, the waves don't have enough energy to to pick back up and come in. So, so what was it like growing up there? What did your parents do for a living? Uh, you know, what was it like? Well, um, it's uh, there are four seasons down there. There's mm -hmm. uh, summer, one, summer, two, summer, three, <laughs> and then about... Two weeks of fall, winter, and spring. Okay, um, but it's just hot all the time, humid. Uh, Gnats, yes, yes, they come up yeah. out of the ground and bite you. They, bite they have you. fangs, yeah. biting, biting gnats, like saber-toothed tigers. <laughs> uh, it's a confluence of people. Um, I grew up. Uh, Pascoula is about an hour and a half drive from New Orleans, yeah. and so uh, a lot of the the French Creole influence comes up the coast. Um, one of the oldest settlements there was the, the the old Spanish fort, and there was a French colony there at one time. So there's lots of uh, all that down the kind of a mixing pot of all that. I grew up I grew up with a lot of uh, little French sayings in in my uh, vernacular, as because that was just part of what we did. Sure. So you know if if someone does something that uh, and you're going to be and it's not a surprise to you you know and you can sarcastically say quel grand surprise you know so what a big surprise those are little phrases and uh, laissez les bons temps rouler which is let the good times roll that's from uh, from what was it in. like growing up for you Shane was it anything like it was like that? it was exactly like that yeah. it was mainly <laughs> mainly it's a lot of french yeah like in, could, in, could in, we have some in, catch up on those do you french have fries? any southern illinois axioms that might match not, not that a single Creole. one, yeah. Not a yeah. single one. Okay. You, you grew up in ducoin right <laughs> in, 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 and there is a strong french area we had a small town near ducoin uh, spelled d u b o i s which we called 
Dubois. Dubois. So yes, we were all over it. Dubois, all that wonderful stuff. No, but I, I, I uh, grew up. It was you know a small town, only about uh, forty thousand rest. No, I'm sorry, I'm thinking the wrong town. I'm thinking of Hattiesburg. That's where I went to college. Uh, uh, Pascoola had around twenty eight thousand residents, okay. give or take. Uh, the population, of course, would swell during the daytime because all through South Mississippi, people would commute in to work at Ingalls. So you'd have 50,000 people uh, in there, d- depending on which shift was coming in and stuff like that. I remember as a, as a kid, the huge trip before I-10 was completed, uh, Highway 90 going through Pascagoula was a parking lot. And to make matters worse, they had a drawbridge that was usually up during rush hour. And so that was that was uh, interesting. But uh, I grew up in a small Baptist church in Pascagoula, uh, went there um, my entire life. Now, I did not live my entire elementary life in Pascagoula. We, uh, my father is a welder by trade. Okay. And uh, when he was working at the shipyard, he got some uh, specialty training working on nuclear reactors in submarines and doing wow. the pipe fitting for all that. And so... Um, when I was in between the years of first grade and fourth grade, we lived in Scottsboro, Alabama, uh, where they were putting in a nuclear power plant there. And then uh, he got some experience there. And then we were over in Holt Summit, Missouri, which is just north of Jefferson City. Oh, okay. That's where I went to third and fourth grade. I li- we lived oh, over wow. there I didn't yeah, for that. two years. And uh, then we moved back. And then my dad uh, continued. He did a couple uh, shutdowns at uh, uh, some nuclear power plants. The, the big one, which has now been decommissioned, it's been so long, but uh, they refueled it back in the uh, mid to late 80s. And my dad was on the shutdown. They basically take the entire reactor apart, yeah. refit it with all new stuff and refuel it and then set it off again. So my dad did enough of that to where he, he, he you know, of course, they're taking all the precautions to be safe in those radioactive uh, sure. suits and stuff like that. But he reached his limit on how much exposure the government would allow him to have over that time. So we used to joke with my dad, if uh, if the Geiger points were were frequent flyer miles, he'd have an upgrade on the space shuttle. <laughs> so, uh, but he just, uh, so he got, my dad glows in the dark ever so slightly. <laughs> yeah. Um, my mom, uh, um, she's, re- both my parents are retired. Um, they just retired. Well, my mom retired two years ago. My dad just retired this year. Uh, but my mom was a office manager at a dental practice for, pretty much as much as as long as I can remember with the same dentist. Actually, it wasn't until last year when my dentist I've had my whole life retired that I actually had to find a dentist here in in the Belleville, Fairview Heights area because we'd go home twice a year and I'd go see Dr. A. Wow. (laughs) Uh, There, but he retired and he told my mom, he said, Denise, when you're retiring, I'm hanging it up as well. So he retired. So here's what I'm not hearing. So I'm not hearing anything about music. Was your family, uh, are they musicians? I'm or? actually a normal person. Yeah, I mean, I, it's it sounds a funny thing so about normal. It. People ask me, Absolutely. what kind of music do you listen to? I don't. Right. I, <laughs> but, and so, so. No, I, no, the music came, my mom always played the piano. Okay. Uh, we had a piano in, in our house and um, my mom played the piano in church. And for a while, my dad served as the song leader. Now in a small Baptist church, you have one paid position, the pastor. Everything else is volunteer, sure. and they're elected. These are these are elected by the church, so the church yeah. has to vote. They have to vote on the pianist. They, yeah, vote on the pianist. I mean, these are people that people say, yes, wow. we are voting to have this person be our pianist. 
So my dad I would like was, to be voted out. That wouldn't be great for the old self-esteem. No, right? not at no. all. Oh, Charlie, all. he's you know he was once a decent tenor. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's I think gravel. I think I think that uh, they they uh, they they championed the the use of the. Uh, I'm going to bow out gracefully I like so that. that you aren't disgraced. <laughs> so you saw it coming. You're, yeah, you're given a chance to resign. I like that. Yeah, yeah. Rather than be voted out. So then but, you go, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, but my dad also led song, led the song leader for mm-hmm. a while. And then yeah. when I was, uh, when I was in 16, I'd been in choirs all through junior high and high school. Mm-hmm. And when I was 16, uh, the church uh, needed another song leader and they elected me to be the song leader and choir director. So I started leading worship when I was 16. Well, did you feel any type of call or were you just like, oh, okay, let's sing I at that point? I felt called immediately. And I knew it was shortly after that um, time, I felt a distinct call on my life. At that time, do I know that it would turn into what I'm doing now? Yeah. I, I didn't. Yeah. But I did feel distinctly called to, to make the commitment that yeah. God, no matter what uh, position I hold, or if I'm just a volunteer, yeah. I said, my gifts that you've given me will be used for your glory in the service of your church. Was that all internal? Did, was someone working with you through that? Or no, that was a that was a um, an in front of the church. Uh, oh, okay. Answer to a call. I mean, I made oh, that commitment cool. before yeah. my my church yeah. growing up, and said, you know, I I feel God has called me to use these gifts for His glory. Absolutely. And whether I am the most committed choir member at a church, or I am using my voice to lead worship, or be the minister of music, or the worship yeah. pastor, whatever that entails, yeah. I'm gonna. I'm not going to be one that just so, sits and does not participate. It's going to be used for His glory. So, so you're 16, you're feeling this, this mm-hmm. is a strong thing happening, and then college is coming. College then college is coming. William Carey? Do what? William Carey, is that where you William went Carey, yeah. yeah. I went to... Uh, are you feel? Are you still feeling the call then, or are you kind of like, oh, yeah. well, because it wasn't a direct call to vocational ministry. Yeah, uh-huh. um, I really went there as a, a music major, and I majored in vocal performance and organ performance. What's back the second then, one there? Organ performance. Oh, organ performance. Okay. Because back then in the um, Shane's uh, can play the organ. No. Yeah. Oh, sorry. No. <laughs> Harmonica? No. No, no, okay. No, I got nothing. Uh, no. But uh, back at that time in the uh, the early, early 90s, they still, there still was a lot of hymn, piano, and organ-based church music everywhere. Because okay. I was going to compliment you, Don, on just seeing where the future was going and being an organ major, yeah, you know, yeah, just, yeah, just yeah, feeling yeah, it. You know, yeah. you're saying, I, when I look ahead, I, I see organs ahead, I see in the future. This. I like it. No, but it was it was a lot of work majoring in both because you had to you know you had to build the repertoire for for both sure. voice and organ and I got to the end of my sophomore year and I just said I don't want to do both of these I really okay let's just be honest I had to work too hard on the organ and okay. singing was yeah. much more it came more naturally more naturally to, you. to yeah. me it ended up being a good call right it was a good call yeah it, ended it was up being a good, a good call. call but it was definitely the uh, I I could I could already go further in the difficulty of the music yeah. that I was able to do vocally. Yeah. Um, and I was doing a lot of stuff um, farther along in the repertoire than most students would attempt in their sophomore year. And, you're, and, stuff. and you're, feel, you're uh, understanding maybe some of your talents, uh, your ceiling, if you will, or... Uh, was pretty high. In, I, was for, and you didn't, didn't know, was it college was when you start to say, whoa, okay. Well, I mean, I basically won every competition I entered. Wow, that feels good. And <laughs> it just, it, there, and it wasn't one of those things where I say... Yeah, I was that good, but I was not in a huge pool of um, 
people that were looking to go into professional singing. Okay. Okay. Um, is that a confidence booster when you're winning like that? Or? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, it makes you, it makes you, it gives you validation saying that, okay, I'm doing really well this, I'm on the right track and you get feedback from these judges and everything like that. And, you know, uh, if I'd been smart with money, I mean, I think over the years, oh, I, I think I added up one time I won between 35 and $40,000 worth of, uh, money throughout competitions over the decade or so that I, that I sang and grants that I was given and prizes that I won. And I didn't some of them were just saying, I didn't know you could win uh, money for singing competitions. You I just, just knew about you could win gift cards from, Dairy Queen yeah. from our show. I, I need to rethink this. Yeah. I mean, you're in, the I just wrong... wasn't smart with it. So it got, it, well, it got spent on education and other, other sure. things that you needed. I said, yeah. I wish I could have put it away in savings right. and it was at, you know, for retirement right. someday, but you know, when Rachel and I were married in 1996, and we were just—is that William Carey, by the way? Is that is well, your... we we graduated from William Carey. We met at William Carey, okay. and then we gradu- uh, graduated in '96. Yeah. Um, and I had a bachelor's degree in vocal performance. And frankly, the only thing you can do with a bachelor's degree in vocal performance is go get a master's degree <laughs> in vocal performance, right? Because uh, you're not you're not ready to sing professionally yet, and even with a master's degree. You're really not professional. You're not of that quality. Don, talk to me just a second, because I know a lot of people come up now singing Mm -hmm. without any formal education at all. You know, they just kind of run their own talent. So is there kind of two tracks? Uh, Talk to us about, because I don't think regular people kind of understand that there is a real discipline. Sure. Yeah. That has to do with that. Um, There's, you know, there's a lot of training out there depending on the genre Mm -hmm. or the area of music you want to go into. Uh, in the classical music world, in the operatic world, which is where I was going, um, there is a massive body of repertoire out there that has been written over centuries. And you're also not only having to consider the English language, you're also having to consider Italian, French, German, Russia, Russian, Czech, um, Spanish. I mean, there it runs the gamut of the languages. Yeah. And uh, of Western music. And so it's really something that you, unless you are steeped in those languages already, I grew up in South Mississippi. Now, that's not a dig on South Mississippi. I would say most people growing up in the United States speak one language, especially. It's either going to be English or or, or Spanish now, but we weren't bilingual, okay? So I had no um, reference other than a few French phrases growing up with another language, okay? So... Getting that education and going in that, uh, taking that track allowed me to, after I finished my master's degree in voice, I had acquired enough skill, enough um, training to audition for a professional program, which was a bridge between academic. There's There's a level of singing for academic purposes. There's a, there's a whole different level for people paying you to do it mm-hmm. and for people, what the, what they're expecting. Sure. And that's how I got accepted to the Juilliard Opera Center right. uh, to study there and moved there uh, in 1998. Okay. So at uh, William Carey, you got a, you got your bachelor's and then you got a master's? I got a master's at the University of Southern Mississippi. Okay. University of Southern yeah. Mississippi. Both of those schools are in Hattiesburg. So okay. I literally moved from one school down the road yeah. to another and was at the same church. I was at Magnolia Baptist Church all six years. Oh. Uh, serving there. 
So you're going to your, uh, let's get you right before Juilliard here. Mm-hmm. So what's going, are you and God in a good place at that time? Or are you, where are you at in the faith journey right then? And then like, what's it like when you're about to go to Juilliard? What, what uh, are you feeling and experiencing? Is it excitement? Is it anxiety? Yes. Okay. Yeah. No, f- faith journey, um, completely feeling uh, God's purpose in all this. Okay. And God's, God's, God's got me. He mean, he brought Rachel into my life at just the right time. Um, I, I had no plans on being married for many, many years. Right. In my mind, I saw, you know, this trajectory of going off to sing professionally, and it didn't involve family or anything. Um, it it did eventually, but not at that time. Yeah. And then I met Rachel, and all of a sudden there was this person in my life that I really became great friends with and then fell in love with and then realized that every scene that I could see in my life from that point on had her in it. And it's like everything had been rewritten. And I know to this day, I would not have been able to do what I did unless Rachel had been in my life. And I think I've heard you talk that before. So you go to Juilliard, you get this training, you become a professional opera singer. Yeah. By the time I finished Juilliard, I was under management with Columbia Artist Management. You're traveling uh, the country, even the traveling world? Traveling the country. Had a, had a couple gigs uh, overseas, uh, sang in Japan. Yeah. Um, got to do some uh, wonderful, got to do some wonderful study over in Italy. And um, in 2003, no, sorry, 2001, I made my debut at New York City Opera in The Magic Flute. And then in 2003, made my Metropolitan Opera debut uh, in Parsifal with uh, Placido Domingo. So you're about in your your thirty. How old are you in 2003? You're you're uh, in early thirty. Be what? Just shot like twenty eight, twenty nine. So right. So you've already had you've had this incredible journey to this point. But if I remember correctly, there this is about the time where you're like, if I want to have a family, I can't take this professional career. It, it, yeah. You could start to see that, right? Oh yeah. And I'm yeah. this is what I don't know, Shane. So I'm assuming God is really knocking at your heart, speaking to you and Rachel. We got Shane, you know, who is the senior leader of a church that's growing tremendously. Uh, they're thinking about their next worship guy. But, but Don, what's going on in your heart right then when you're starting to find out, like thinking about being a worship pastor? Okay, before we get to a serious question, though, I got to oh, tell you, all we're sitting in Don's <laughs> office. Yeah. And he has a poster. And when I say poster, I'm talking about a poster maybe six foot tall. Yeah. By uh, three and a half feet, and it is from the Metropolitan Opera. It is clearly their bill, you know, what they would have had in the window. And Don Frazier, Esquire, is in, it says, next to him, and I'm I'm good with French. I was raised in Southern Illinois. It says, Debut. And so, uh, yes, Debut. And so Don is there, and then if you look up Placido Domingo, which Don said earlier, and what I liked about it, he didn't pause. He acted like that was a perfectly normal thing. It'd be like me saying, I once played a little pickup ball with Michael Jordan and it was, yeah, yeah, uh, you know, yeah, I, yeah. I liked it, Don. I thought there was well, a I, cool crispness. Thankfully, it was not the first time I had <laughs> oh. met him in public. Oh, was I got that. Yeah. The first time I met or actually saw him uh, up close and personal was I was, I had gotten off the elevator at Juilliard and had rounded the corner, and there's this long corridor that led to the other end where the offices for the vocal arts department was. And I come around the corner, and I see this gentleman walking out the door with his trench coat and scarf and everything. The closer he gets, I said, I know, I know that he looks familiar. 
And as he gets closer and closer, I realize that's Placido Domingo. And <laughs> I realize after he had passed me that I just sat there. I stood there with my mouth agape the whole time like this. Uh, I get it. I'm just going. So, yeah, I was completely, completely starstruck. But I remember when in rehearsal at the Met the first time, uh, he had done that production before. But uh, I was there for the dress rehearsal. And then he came, he came in just for the dress rehearsal. There was his his, uh, his cover was there standing in for him the whole time, except for this one. He was there and his entrance, his first entrance came when it was time for a union break. Okay. And you have to have those. Well, they called union break right after he made his first entrance and he looked around and saw everybody there, and he'd worked with a lot of them before, but he hadn't worked with me. He he locked eyes with me, walked over to me, and introduced himself and says, hello, I'm Placido. What's your name? And I was just like, wow. I was like, yes, yeah. sir, I know who you are. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what a cool thing to do, though, right? Yeah. You never yeah. forget stuff Total like class. that. Yeah. Total class. Yeah. Mike does that now with people. Kids will look to Mike, and they'll go, wow, are you the host of Navigating Shane, of Navigating Change with Shane and Mike? Mm -hmm. And Mike just acts like it's nothing, and he sits down, and he goes, I'm Mike. What's your name? It's, right. it's amazing <laughs> that in his celebrity status, now that he's aging, it's Ages amazing so yeah. to comes, me how that he still has time for just regular people. Yeah. I actually go up to people and say, do you want to take a <laughs> selfie with me? You, will you take a selfie? Please take a selfie. Will you post this on your They hand Facebook? Mike a phone. They'll say, could you take a picture of us? Yeah, and so right. it goes great. Terrible. Make sure to tag Shane in it. Yeah, that, that, that's right. <laughs> so, so, Don, so uh, post Juilliard, post uh, your, your professional uh, opera singer, and you're filling a call. Yes. Right. So, so what's going I on knew, there? I knew I was at the point in my career where a lot of people that I knew were having to make, were, were being forced to make choices, whether of their own decision making or because of just what the job entails. Those who had very good careers and were going to move on to the next level, their marriages were, were, were hurting. And those who concentrated more on the marriages, their careers weren't quite going where they probably would like them to go. And I remember uh, praying. I remember the first uh, first year, Juliana was uh, our first child, was born in uh, March of 2003. And that entire year, I remember sleeping in my own bed 11 weeks wow. in total. I was traveling all over the place. Yeah. And I remember we got to December, and I just remember... Rachel and I, we were praying. I said, Lord, I I am so thankful for the opportunities you've given me. Mm. But I also know that you've called me to be the best husband and father I can be. And I just don't think I can do that. Is there is there a way that this can work? Right. And I ended up getting a teaching position at William Carey University because up until then I was a freelance artist. And freelance means if if you get offered work, you take it. Yeah. You know, there's really nothing to say no because every gig is how you just pay your bills. Yeah. And so I couldn't say no because I didn't have regular income coming in. We just had to take chunks, live off it until the next yeah. gig and the same thing. So uh, felt God opened up this door down at William Caring, and I started teaching there. Did that for two years. Then Hurricane Katrina hit uh, in 2005. Five, right, yeah. And uh, at the end of in spring of 2006, my contract was not renewed because we'd lost the campus on the Gulf Coast and the one in New Orleans you couldn't get to. So they were unable to have any students. So the, the, the school had to make some cutbacks and 
any, a lot of, not a lot, but some of the faculty that they had brought on were not able to be renewed for the next year. And I was sitting there going, Hey, I need to figure out what to do. Right. Young family. Yeah. Young, young family. family. And I was praying about it. I said, okay, God, what, what do this I need is... to do? So I started searching for other teaching positions all around the country. Yeah. Well, at that time I had a really good body of work represented on my resume, but teaching positions at universities, they really want that doctorate. They want that terminal degree. Yeah. And I just didn't have it. And all the ones that were available, it was late in the sea. It was late in the spring. Most contracts had already been signed for the next year. There was not, it was slim pickings around. And I just right. didn't know. And I was getting very frustrated. And it was about, it was about in June, early June, started praying about it and saying, okay, God, we need something. What year is this, Don? This is 2006, 2006. June of 2006. Okay. I said, I'm not seeing anything. Nothing was happening. Get to about mid June. And I said, God, what do you want me to do? I said, is it, is, what am I, what do I do? do, I do? <laughs> right. And First you're mad, felt, now you're a little desperate. I'm desperate. <laughs> yeah, I'm desperate. Right. There's nothing. Yeah. I mean, this contract's out. Yeah. I mean, at the end of June, yeah. there's no more uh, money from the school coming sure. in because then it's over. Sure. And I said, I just don't know what to do. And uh, God just, God just spoke to me and he mm. said, okay, I've, I've taken you around the world. I've given you this experience, I've given you great training. That now it's time to come to work for me. Wow. Wow. And so over two days, I retooled my resume and yeah. everything to reflect my ministry experience that I had been continually doing. It wasn't my I was I was a choir director and a worship leader in New York when we lived there. Right. I was at a church That's all crazy. through college. I, I did it. So everything I'd been doing si- through, since I was yeah. 16, I had all this experience in worship leading. Yeah. And in being the leader of a music program yeah. at a church, yeah. and then to have on top of that my professional experience in the the professional music world, yeah. I was able to put all that together and uploaded it onto a couple of the websites. And it, it seemed like I was getting nothing, no no response whatsoever from the academic side. I retooled it to to show my ministry experience and everything, and the phone started ringing. Wow, just like that. And I started getting so, calls. So and you, then I put it up on a website and everything. And then I think it was late June, I get a call from Shane Bishop hmm. from Christ United Methodist Church in Ferry Heights, Illinois. Hmm. I had never heard Fairview Heights. And when he said St. Louis, I said, oh, you know, St. Louis and everything. Yeah. You know, for me, Fairview Heights, yeah. Illinois, to me, I'm thinking it's somewhere around Chicago because yeah. everything, everything in Illinois Chicago is when, around yeah, Chicago, right? Yeah. Uh, so no, and he 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 talked to me because they and he can tell you more about the yeah. rest of it. But uh, we, we struck up a conversation, and he seemed to to like me, and I liked him. And yeah. he 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 basically well, painted a picture of a church that I wanted to be a part of, mm-hmm. and wanted to be wanted to go go there and grow with them. And uh, I think we were we met up at the right time. I was at the right spot for them, and they were in the right spot for me. And few things I just love about yeah. your story, I think, is that, uh, first of all, God was preparing you for something. Like you said this, you got this side church work, but at the same time, it shows how God, when we're just doing something on the side, sometimes God can do something incredible mm-hmm. with that. And then you become this unique vessel. I mean, this unique person with unique experiences and skill set for a church. And like you said, you met, uh, you know, you talk with Shane. So Shane, can you kind of just tell us where Christ Church is at at that point? And then, you know, Don coming, coming on. Yeah, I- I arrived here in 1997, pretty traditional church, but it had just relocated to a 
to a much more strategic location than it was in. Uh, the church started just taking off. And, and I don't mean we, we grew by hundreds in a single year, but we were growing every year. And we just grew and grew and grew. Uh, the worship was pretty traditional. And my wife, Melissa, had an idea and said, let's do a non-traditional service. I think the word they used a lot back then was contemporary. But obviously what's contemporary now is not what con was contemporary then. But uh, we, we started this, this contemporary service and we had two overhead projectors. We ran lyrics on one of those old laminate machines. We ran lyrics and had a piano and we did such classics as as the deer panteth for the water. Uh, we just built this service and before long it, it started catching on. We started drawing lots and lots of young families. Uh, Melissa uh, eventually ended up uh, heading up our worship ministries and kind of helped us transition through a lot of really difficult times and what I just call the worship wars in churches all across America, just trying to make a place for more contemporary expressions of Christian music. And then we were out of room, running about 700, had multiple worship services. I think we were running five services a day. One was in Spanish on Sundays. And uh, we needed to make the next step, so we voted to build a huge new sanctuary. Melissa was just exhausted. She'd been our youth director, had done an incredible job just, just being faithful and moving us forward, but she felt called to, to step out. And at that point, we were looking for a worship director to take us into the future. And what I was really looking for was somebody we could grow with mm. and somebody that could grow with us. And we were looking through a bunch of resumes and all of a sudden I saw this name, Don Frazier. It was such a unique skill set. I remember yeah. the first thing that hit me is here's a guy that could do everything. Yeah. He could do the old school stuff. He can do classic stuff. He can do the new stuff. And I thought this versatility is exactly what we're looking for, because back then we still did a, a traditional service and a contemporary service and a Spanish service. Yeah. And so uh, he just brought something very, very unique. And it became clear that, at least from my perspective, that his first career just put him in a great position right. for what God had next. And I wonder, Mike, how many people are, are in a career or something right now, and they may say, wow, this isn't really what I hoped for yeah. or what I thought, but maybe God's preparing them mm -hmm. for what's next yeah. in their life. Absolutely. Now, I heard a story one time about, I think you were having some of the people that you uh, were interviewing for the job actually sing. Uh, mm -hmm. I think that was probably a big part of it. And I think it was Carrie, who was still on the band now, was on the band all the way back then. She said when, yeah, when Don sang for the first time, you could hear a pin drop. I don't know if you remember anything like that. I do. I do. And and what I really remember <laughs> was thinking to myself, we had several candidates who came in. We had a couple of finalists. And, and I just remember listening to Don play and sing. And, and the thing that stuck in my head is worst case scenario, he plays the piano and he accompanies himself. And it's really good. Right. That was the worst yeah. case scenario. So you, it was pretty clear. You've to me. also talked a little bit about how you can preach and he can sing. Right. Right. That's another thing you've said before. It's like if it, it all go, you know, if, it, if everything, the worst, worst, of course. Yeah. If everything is, is just as bad as it gets, yeah. he can sing, I can preach, and I think yeah. we're going to be all right. Kind of like a Reese's peanut butter cup. It is. Yeah. It is. And Chocolate think, and peanut butter. I think we got, you know, that's a, a good <laughs> analogy, if you will. But you guys have really made an incredible team. And now it's been how many years? Well, let's see. Uh, so in, 
14 years. It'll begin 15 years, my 15th year this August or September. Because a senior pastor and a worship director and now a pastor of worship arts, we're, we're sort of like a shortstop and a second baseman. You mm. really got to be on the same page. You got to know where each other are. Yeah. You kind of got to be able to read each other's mind. And without even looking up, you need to know yeah. where that other person I, is. And I don't know if a lot of regular people know how important that relationship is. I don't is, think they do. You know, because I wouldn't have known that before. But to have a, you know, a worship pastor, senior pastor, to be on the same page is, is pretty important for a church and the health and the growth of it, right, Jim? And I think as a senior pastor of a very large church, there's there's two key relationships you have. You have your relationship with your executive director, who's running the, the business side right. of the church, and then you have your relationship with your yeah. uh, pastor of worship art who runs the worship side of the church. And I think those are the two pivotal yeah. relationships. And over the course of time, because our executive director has been with us uh, even longer long. yeah, than uh, Don, yeah. so we tend to have long-term stays in senior leadership. Uh, those relationships become as important as any relationship in your life because yeah. they last for decades. Yeah. yeah. I think in just general, it's important to have good people around you, Shane, and to yeah. develop those relationships. One of the things that I think I've really learned from you in general is about how you have long-term relationships. And uh, sometimes I think we have family people who we're kind of stuck with, right? And there's, <laughs> and there's other people that, you know, how are you going to develop these relationships over, you know, uh, several years? And I, and I right. think you've, you two have modeled that, actually, for me as watching you two and being here just these last five years, I can, I can tell that you guys have a great relationship and it's been something built over these last 14 and you years. And you have to work at it. I mean, we're, we're intentional about that. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Shane and I have coffee or, well, we meet every That's right. um, Tuesday morning uh, for 30 to 45 minutes. Uh, usually we're having coffee. Uh, we used to meet at Starbucks until they closed <laughs> that down yeah. for, for the COVID crisis. But, um, but now we meet, here at the church or, you know, get a cup of coffee and we just talk. And a lot of it, most of the conversation is how we are doing. How's our family doing? Right. What, what, what's, you know, keeping, keeping those connections going. It can't be church work or whatever all the time. There's just no way. No, for long... you can't, you, you can't no. um, because you, ha you have to build those relationships past just the work that's right in front of you. Because when you build emotional equity in each other, yeah. you're able to really, when, when things get tough, you've got that ability to say, you know, to, to provide grace for each other, to be able to work through it and know that, yeah. you know, and, and, and I've gotten to know Shane and I, I know, you know, some, some people will say is, it, it, you know, if someone comes up to me and says, is Shane upset about something? I'm like, no, I said, he's just, just he's, he's got a lot that he's dealing with. He's sure. not upset. You're like, well, why isn't he more upset about this? I'm like, Shane, Shane keeps it cool. He's, he's, he's even. He keeps it cool, yeah. you know? I said, believe me, he's highly interested in this, but you're, he's not going to let on that yeah. he's highly interested in this because as the senior leader, he has to keep a, a, steady. Steady, a, a, a steady countenance about him There's so that other people don't start radiating oh, yeah, at high frequencies leadership. and stuff. And so I've gotten to know him. And so, uh, and over, you know, maybe when I first got here for the first few years or so, I'd get an email from him or something like that. And I'd be like, I'd flip out about it because I would I would I would like go oh my gosh uh, he's upset or this I was like no he's just relating information right and I know I know that if if Shane has something very very important or if I have done something that he needs to either correct me on or he's going to speak to me directly I'm not going to he's going to he's going to pick up the phone or he's going to come see me or ask me to come see him I don't have to read between the lines and unfortunately a lot of places in the workforce 
people are cost. I hear people talking about all the time how they are just they they're stewing over emails and things like that. It's just horrible. Well, we we don't operate that way, and it's also that's the the standard that he set for us to operate. But it's also the fact that we've got this relationship, and and I tell when when worship uh, leaders and worship pastors contact me and say they're telling me I'm having just this really difficult time with my senior pastor. I'm not able to. I said the first thing I asked them. I said. Have you spent time getting to know him or her? You know, have you have you put in the effort to get to know your pastor's heart? Because until you know that, you really you, you can't get on the same page with them until you've spoke spent them time. And I and I tell pastors that will say the same thing. It says, well, have you spent some time investing in your worship leader on a personal level? Right. Because I, and I, I knew I knew right away that if. Uh, if Shane said, "Hey, we're going to walk through this brick wall," I know yeah, yeah. that the moment we get to it, Shane's not going to balk and expect the rest of us to walk through it. He's going to lead right Absolutely. through it. And we're going to be right there with him. So it's been that, t- but that that only comes from having that relationship and all of that trust that has been built. Uh, people, uh, I have uh, different worship leaders that marvel over the fact that of the uh, responsibility. That Shane's given me over the worship, because they are having they have pastors who are micromanagers and things like that, sure. or they just have to go through all these different people. I said, well, you have to understand that wasn't just handed to me overnight. That that, that trust earned. was earned over years and years of of going through the battle, providing together. excellence, yeah. of always yeah. of always delivering. Yes. And I said, when you you can earn that as well, but you you, you don't expect to be handed term. it to That's you overnight just yeah. because you have a title. Right. I mean. At, well, they say the key to success is excellence over time, and you can't cheat either. Right. So you have to do excellent work day after day after day, and you're going to have to do it for a long time, and then you start building something. Yeah. So excellence over time, you can't cheat either. I think it happens with relationships. I think it happens professionally as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're going to bring this conversation to a close today. Uh, next time, we're going to talk about music and church. Uh, you're not going to want to miss it. We're going to talk about personal preferences. We're going to talk about hymns. We're going to talk about modern worship, music. It's all going to be happening next time. We do want to thank Dr. Don for being a part of this first part of the conversation. We want to thank you for listening to Navigating Change with Shane and Mike. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and share this podcast. And also look for Shane and I on social media. Thank you for listening to Navigating Change. And make sure that you keep the change.